Good morning, it's the 3rd of September 2017 and you're listening to The Big Kickoff. Good morning, welcome to the big kickoff. Again, as I said, we're into September. It's starting to get a little bit cooler in the mornings, and the sun is starting to disappear. We don't have David Bogle in this morning, again. Uh, Neil Dobbs, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we had an Ireland game yesterday, didn't we? We did. And were you as frustrated as everyone else? I guess I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it wasn't an easy watch, was it? It wasn't. Watching from behind the couch, as I said. <laughs> uh, plenty of sport on at the weekend. Again, we had the international football. There was boxing, Pro 14. Uh, so we have a couple of people in today. Stephen Sharp, uh, boxing promoter, will be in with us about 9 o'clock, and he'll be talking about his promotional uh, Celtic Clash 3, which is on actually next this Saturday coming, 9th of, of September. We will also have uh, Darren Shields to talk to us about the Pro 14's opening weekend and, and to see how that went. And we'll have a few little different things with obviously talking about the football and other sports. Neil, we'll start off with uh, our first song. Our first song is always uh, an Irish song. Who have we got? We've got the National Express from The Divine Comedy. Okay, sporting news. And the first one that I have here is uh, obviously the McGregor and Mayweather fight was on last week. And 19-year-old Limerick native Brian Grace uh, was on, was chanced his arm, basically. He was in Las Vegas with two mates for a week. Did you hear about this? Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah. Yep. yeah. And uh, while his friends ha- had some tickets for the fight, he couldn't cough up the amount for the inflated prices but basically what happened was that morning he dressed up in his uh, tin and fruit in a suit well dressed he said he didn't go down in his Ireland jersey or uh, you know any shorts or anything like that and he went down he stood around for a while and he sussed out all the weaknesses in the security which I thought was yeah pretty down to detail he's starting to it's a, this is a this is a, a, a jewel thief in the making, but he went down, checked out all the weaknesses. Says there was a few weaknesses. Tried to get in the toilet window, I believe, and they caught him and threw him out. And he says, "Oh, that's me, knackered." 
But that evening, he stood out around it's the first. There's two barriers of security. He stood outside the first barrier of security, and he noticed that he didn't need a ticket. And there was all these people coming in, and all McGregor's family, extended family, not wife and thing, but cousins and all that. They were all coming in, so he decided to join in with them. Went through with them unnoticed. And as he was walking through, security guards let him through. They went through and then he says he noticed that the family were looking back at him and going, kind of thinking, who's this guy? So he slipped away from the family then. (laughs) And uh, so he says, that was grand. I was in the first one. But the second one, you needed tickets and all that sort of stuff. And they were really, they were, you know, there was uh, metal detectors and all this sort of stuff. So he's seen a ladder. And he went over and he got the ladder and walked up to them and walked by as if he was a maintenance man. And they let him in. In his suit. In his suit with a ladder. Right. So he got in and he was in for the fight and he went down to an 80,000, I think it was 80,000 for the seat and sat in it and just chanced his arm. And Bob's your uncle got in. Oh, chancer. Chancer. The other thing was, his mates who were in seats higher up came down and sat in those seats too. Brilliant. So the, obviously the, 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 the fight wasn't sold out and they just got these seats and no one came in to take them. Obviously, you didn't get Mike Tyson coming in and, mm. and looking for a seat. But, you know, chance your arm shows you, doesn't it? You just do. there, get, must be, there must be loads of these guys doing this because every major event you hear now, Super Bowl, etc., you always hear about people blagging their way in. There, there's so many of them. There must there. be a load of them there. And obviously security is lax enough. Yeah. If you chant your arm, if you turn up, this guy knew what he was at. going to do, yeah. But so, you got to have a brass neck. I think you have to have a brass neck. You got to. You know, you, you, have to, you have to not care if you get caught or not. Not care mm. if you get kicked out. And some people get embarrassed by that. But I'd love to hear the security uh, guys <laughs> view. I saw this guy walking past. <laughs> full suit and a ladder and I thought yeah that looks acceptable <laughs> part of McGregor's entourage <laughs> I know isn't it um, not a whole lot what have we got here Lewis Hamilton has broken Michael Schumacher's record of polled 69 pole positions 69 69 pole positions, pole positions yeah um, held by the great Schumacher they didn't think it would be broken and there you go Lewis Hamilton um, you, look, you think of Lewis Hamilton you don't think of him as well. Maybe the maybe the English do, but I don't think of him as one of the all time greats or anything like that. You think of Ayrton Senna, and you think of Schumacher and, and, and all that. I don't know. Is that is that an outsider's? Do you think that's an outsider's look at, at a Formula One? I'd say so. I, I mean, look, he's been there ten odd years now. Yeah, that's, that's what I felt when I looked into it a little bit more. Obviously, it's taken quite a bit of time to achieve something like this, but he has been around quite a long time. All right. But uh, there you go. Another record broken. There is a new TV station, new TV channel launching, uh, which will show 10 live football games per week. And it's called uh, Free Sports, it's called Coverage on Free Sports. On the opening weekend will include England's under-21 opening qualifier against the Netherlands. Was that this weekend or... That must be that must be this weekend. Had to be this weekend. Had to be this yeah, weekend. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't I haven't seen this. It says a new free to air TV channel launches tomorrow. Yeah, so it must be this weekend. Showing live football, rugby league, motorsport, ice hockey, and, and a whole host of um, sports. Free sports will be available on all major platforms on launch day. Freeview, Talk Talk, BT, Sky, and uh, FreeSat, except for Virgin Media. So that rules me out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
Uh, but the Channel Bosses says it will give over 10 million homes in the UK and Ireland access to 24-7 sport. And I was looking at the sports that they are going to show. Football was, they're going to have 10 games a week. Uh, from the Portuguese Premier League, they'll have two games a week. Belgian Pro League, three games. Uh, Super League from Argentina, two games. Spanish Liga, two one game and then the Irish Electricity League but they'll also show programs from well big programs from Barca TV Bayern TV AC Milan TV Borussia Dortmund TV will you be able to understand them I wonder I don't know yeah. will these be delayed kick-offs type of thing isn't it and, uh, do you yeah. want a local sports chance do you know the Barcelona sport oh yeah, yeah. but they, I don't know if they'll show the, the games from them I think that they'll show programs uh, from them so surely they'll be in in the, the relative language of, of, of each yeah, country yeah, yeah, yeah. but they also yes they also will have rugby league which includes world cup and, and, and championship games motorsports uh, NASCAR series and stuff like that mm. but it's always good to have a free channel always good to have a free view yeah, isn't it like Sky right. Sports Mix I watched the Ireland San Marino or Northern Ireland San Marino game the other night other than that, I wasn't going to be too bothered about watching Northern Ireland Samaria. Watch the whole game. There so, Sky's for a mix. Great. But, uh, do you have Sky? I do. You do have Sky? I do. Cost it, an arm and a leg, but I have it. Is it worth it? Ah, no. It's not really, is I, it? Well, do you know what? When I used to have all the channels, or sorry, all the games on, it was worth it when you had every single game and it was only on Sky. And now you have your BT, now you have your Air. You know, yeah. you don't get the value for money probably out of it. You don't. But uh, you got to keep adding packages in as you go. But it depends, I guess, who you support or how well they're represented on that. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's worth it. No, I don't think so. When, when BT came in and started taking... Uh, was, there, was there someone else who came in as well? can't think who the other one was. But when BT came in and started taking it off them, so then you had to pay 24 50 or whatever it was for Sky and then another 24 50 for BT. And, it, yeah. and then you figured out, well, okay, let's see, I'll, I'll get this because the Ireland game be on. I think it went to, wasn't it Air Sport had Ireland games for a while there then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sky has some of the away games as well. So it's just not worth it then, you know. Yeah. So no wonder loads of people have dodgy boxes and That's stuff it. like that. You need something to keep you going. To keep you going. So anyhow, yeah, because we, we, we suffered enough during the, the summer without football and uh, all sorts of sports. Uh, and else? Uh, no, not much. The tennis on US Open. Yeah, I haven't really caught too much of that now. What did you catch of it? Uh, the tennis is it's the same old story, same big players reaching the same finals, you know. Is Andy Murray out of it? Is he not he didn't yeah, Andy enter, Murray did he? has an injury now. He hasn't played in a while. Yeah. So he's 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 reco- he needs a good recovery by the looks of it. It's a grueling schedule of the tennis. Absolutely. Isn't grueling. it? It's non stop. Yeah. So he uh Federer now is back. <laughs> he's back. He he never went away, but he's back in in the top spots again and you look at Murray now and he's just been constantly going the last three to four years. They never get a break. No. You look at Nadal, he literally needed to take a year out that yeah, time. Yeah. So it's it's hard going. And even Federer had his little slump for a while, you know, and people were saying he's finished, he, mm-hmm. he's too old and he's storming back as well. It shows you what that little bit of a break. Yeah. So they're probably working them far too hard to try and promote the game of tennis. Mm-hmm. It's not just they have the Davis Cup, they have the obviously the, the, the majors, but the tour itself every week constantly and it's not like like obviously golf has its energy expenditure but you're, you're strolling around with golf it's four rounds which is, is, is tiring but you're playing every other day in the tennis 
mm. and it's grueling three hour it four is. hour games you know when so. you look at Andy Murray now he caught, they reckon he's cost himself another six months recovery purely because he pushed himself at Wimbledon when he wasn't fit he didn't need to he yeah. didn't need to yeah. No, yeah, well, and he, he wouldn't give up Wimbledon he, he, that's the one that he said he had to play but yeah. he'll suffer for it for the next few weeks well, he'll be back for the, for, the, for the start of the new year mm. okay Xavi Xavi is uh, Barcelona Xavi yep he is over in uh, Qatar yeah Qatar he won the lotto in Qatar wow yeah it? I'd say Qatar lotto is worth winning well or it is it isn't I'm not sure if it was pick your six balls and, and then you have a bonus number and all that I'm not sure what way the lottery works over there but the 37 year old former Barcelona player uh, he won 1 million Qatari Royals, I think it is, or R-O-Y-A-L-S, which is 225,000 euro. And he's pictured with a nice big check with a few lads. In their Surely Zavi would be giving this to charity or something, would he? He's not hard up for cash. Charity starts at home now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. Some people just have all the luck. Uh, did you see the boxing yesterday? I did. Uh, Joe Ward. Joe Ward, yeah. And La Cruz, isn't it? Yeah, another Joe. And I was lucky enough, I was I had just got in, I had just sat down after being down watching the Ireland game. I just come in and sat down and it popped up on Facebook on the news feed, a live link to it. There you go. And clicked into it and the fight was just about to start. So I got it perfectly. I, I probably would have forgotten about it, to tell you the truth. Mm. I was just inside much of a rush. But <clears throat> that's his third world championship medal which there is brilliant go. yep um, he has Le Cruz who is I think he's renowned as the the top light heavyweight light heavyweight yeah and he is sharp mm. like he is quick for a, for a light heavyweight when you look at heavyweights and light heavyweights you look at Tony Bellew who was a light I think he was light heavyweight he's you know heavy not sluggish but you know what I mean the mobility isn't as quick as David Hay. Of course, yeah. You know, that's you're kind of looking at him, Le Cruz, who is David Hayish as he's quick, he's snappy, hands are down, he doesn't protect himself because he feels obviously he's so good that he can move. But he, anytime Joe Ward went to punch him, he was gone. Mm. Like he wasn't touching him, he wasn't going anywhere near him. But I thought Joe Ward put up a great fight. He did, yeah. Uh, he didn't. He he had to change his game plan. He had to. I think Joe Ward does something similar. He waits for people to come at him and counters, but he had to push forward against them. So, uh, I don't know. A couple of them gave gave it all three rounds to Le Cruz. I wasn't totally sure on that. I thought he at least won one. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think at that level, it's interesting when you know how you're getting on during that fight. It's not like traditional 10, 12 rounds. Yeah. You know exactly how you are. And as you say, if you know you're a round down or two rounds down, you've no choice but to kind of push on forward. It doesn't suit everyone. doesn't suit everyone now. Yeah. No, and I think you fall into that trap a little bit as well where you feel you have to push on and then obviously you leave yourself a little bit more vulnerable when you do that. Yeah, and again, three rounds... It is. I, I I wasn't too sure. I was looking. I said, "Why, why aren't they wearing their, he- their headgear?" I thought they wore headgear. If it's if it's, mm. I'm not sure. If, 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 I don't think they always do. Did they not? Well, obviously no. they don't because they didn't wear it yesterday. Uh, just to finish off, Roddy Doyle, author Roddy Doyle, has expressed uh, an aversion towards GAA. He was speaking on uh, Second Captains this week, 
Doyle suggested that, that those who follow their county during the summer are simply biding their time before English football returns. Right. Doyle, who is a Chelsea supporter over the last 50 years, uh, and he was a ghostwriter for Roy Keane's biography, says, I always feel that GAA is really football supporters getting through the summer. People will probably be up in arms when I say that. I always feel that the GAA, to a degree, is a bit of a con job. When you see the reports on the Sunday news that you're, and, uh, and you're looking at empty stadiums and Marty going berserk and there's 27 kids behind them jumping in the, uh, jumping in the stands, I think it's just a good propaganda job and they're getting away with it. Right. Is he aiming this specifically at Dublin by chance? Because I, aren't they the, the traditional Leolé supporters? So. Yeah, I think he's not aiming at all. Because yeah. say, I think he's talking about the likes of... Do you know when you look at Tyrone versus, I don't know, Fermanagh in the opening rounds of the, the All-Ireland and mm. someone scores a point and there's 14 people going mad behind the goal because there's not, now the stands may be full, but behind the goal may be, right. you know, barely empty, you know. And there's, mm. So, man, listen, I think they, they get great support. I think they get super support. I and if you look at it, it's a golden age now at the moment for Dublin, but I know for I've been at their games and all the qualifiers, all the even the Leinster final, which is a formality these days. Yeah. They're still very well supported. They travelled this year, Dublin did. They were in Monon. They travelled down the country, I think, Kerry, wherever it was, and it was absolutely sold out. Yeah. So they proved that, you know, they don't just come to the capital and they don't just go to their local as such. They're willing to travel. Do you think Roddy Dell just doesn't like GAA? Possibly. Well, he does have a point. I mean, look, there's a lot of people. I'd be one of them included. You know, you're across the summer. There's nothing else going on. I like going and seeing the dubs. But it's a nice kind of a family occasion as well. It's yeah. a mixed crowd. It's a different atmosphere than the soccer. I, I quite enjoy going in. But uh, yeah, he probably has a, a, a point Somewhat of a point. Somewhat of a point. But I still think they're well represented. But obviously other counties don't travel yeah. as well as others. What about going professional do you think they'll ever go professional uh, no why I don't think there's enough to sustain if you look at the last few years in particular there's only a handful of clubs uh, well say maybe two counties that can win and I don't think when you look at the Dublin versus any others really that you're going to get a situation where Dublin obviously could probably afford to do it but maybe the other ones couldn't if it went I don't think it should either if it went professional surely they'd get the backing from sponsorship surely they get the backing from added crowds maybe mm. but they, again a lot of them do get good crowds like look at Kerry Cork Galway they get good crowds I know they're smaller counties mm. but then again I still think your bigger counties are going to get the big crowds there's no doubt about it you're not even your bigger counties your counties that are more used to winning or being in the semi-finals finals yeah my my thing on that would be that when you have an all ireland layout i don't like the other all ireland layout uh, i know it's traditional and i think mm. now that a lot of gaa people like because that's the way it's always been but if you're we'll just say if if kilkenny had a, a, a football team which they don't but if kilkenny had a football team new york we go in new york mm-hmm. and i know they're in it just to be in it but you would want the, the smaller teams to have more than two games two games surely you, you can't get a run of things you can't get a, a thing going together you can't build you know build I know they have the league but the league is really your pre-season it's warm and then you used to only have one game and you're out but now you have the back door which is two games and you're out I don't know I think it's something a little different a little Champions League style I, I like the way that Pro 14 have changed their thing 
they've got two conferences A and B now instead of just having one league it just changes it up a bit makes it a bit more interesting but gives people more game time and you know yourself if you're playing football game time's everything to, to get yourself up to speed so I don't know you can train as much as you want but if you're not playing games you can't build up a, a bit of speed mm, it seems the way they are going they're, they're looking for new ideas like this some sort of two-tiered system yeah. where but they as they say there needs to be a reward for the lesser teams you know when you qualify when you win this group you need to go on there needs to be a reward of a big day in Crow Park you yeah. need to be back in among yeah. the big guys then but definitely they need more games there's no doubt about it okay Welcome back to uh, the big kickoff and Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. 087 062 7138 if you want to send us a text. Again, with the email, it's the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com for any t- uh, emails you want to send in about anything at all with the show or anything you'd like to hear in the show. Transfer window shut, Neil. Yes. Who do you think in the transfer window? were the winners and who do you think were the losers um, I think clubs that got the business done early Man United yeah I think they're the winners they got Matic huge signing for them can I actually believe Chelsea sold them to him I'm but not, yeah, a I, very I, good sign I can't understand the, the Matic thing because they've got Danny Drinkwater in Chelsea mm-hmm. but they let Matic go what what, what what were they thinking? I don't know what they were thinking. I don't think it's gone well for Chelsea. They they seem to struggle to land their targets. It's the first transfer window I've seen where players were unwilling to go to a t- team like Chelsea. Yeah. Which is strange. Lorente, they lost out on Lorente. It's a strange one. Now, the Matic one, how you know like Chelsea are going to be up there at the end of the season with Man United. And for them to give Mourinho a player that you absolutely 100% know is his, his, his player... I can't understand it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I wonder. Matic obviously wanted to go to United. He, he seemed yeah. to be interested in going and joining Mourinho. But I wonder if it's if it's shown something that, uh, from the manager's point of view, that there's a bit discontent. Would you say? Yeah. With I, him? I don't think Conte is getting on. He, he was all hustle and bustle last year and this year he was very adamant to the way he wanted the club ran. And I think he's been told, look, there's a director of football, you're going to be given the players and he seems to have kind of accepted his place. Yeah. There's definitely a change in his demeanour in, in around that when he's being interviewed. Well, they've got they've still got plenty of players in. They got, they've got Morata in earlier on. They've got uh, Bakioko from Monaco, uh, even Caballero as their goal, backup goalkeeper from City, uh, Rudiger, uh, Mpadu, 
who was a, a young player from Exeter. But on transfer deadline day, they got Zappa Costa and Drinkwater for a combined 59 million. So they, they spent money. Yeah. But is that just to try and fill the gaps that they're losing players from? Well, I think they needed to do that anyway. So yeah. from last year, they used a very, very small panel from start to finish. This year, they've got Champions League. They've got bigger aspirations. They had to change. They had to add to that side. A bit like Liverpool. They had to add squad players, not necessarily the big name players. Yeah. Now, I think the Morata thing is interesting because Costa completely did a number on them this year. They needed to get rid of him. They haven't got rid of him. He goes back to Brazil, messing around, walking around Atletico shirt, demanding to be sold. Like that's unusual in itself. But that was the big one for them to get Morata. Yeah. Tell me, on players who are refusing to play for their club, mm-hmm. what's your take on They should be fined a year's wages or something. How can you damage or how can you affect a player that's earning so much money? There has to be something done with that. Players that refuse to play... You look at uh, Mares off Leicester. Yeah. He gave everything, not a butter on him. The Coutinho scenario, and I'm a Liverpool man, obviously, uh, is ridiculous. He is injured. He's a back injury. And then 24 hours later, he's in Brazil flying around the training ground like a young man, which he is. Yeah. Not a butter on him. Obviously not a butter on him. Um, it shouldn't be allowed. They should be a hit with a massive, massive fine. Yeah. it's. It, I'm going to talk to you about some of the deals that didn't happen mm-hmm. and one of those people that was along the same lines was Virgil van Dijk yep now he sat pretty waiting for a Liverpool move even a Chelsea move yep didn't happen but he refused to play dropped to the 18s didn't happen for him and, and a lot of deals didn't happen is this van Dijk he says stalled out early he was the one of the first to come in, hand in the transfer when he felt that it wasn't going to go through. So he didn't like leave it to the last week or two. He literally set his stall out from the end of last year to say, yeah. I'm out of here. This is what I want to do and this is where I want to go. I don't really have a problem with him coming out and saying that, but you can't down tools and not play. And you especially can't do it when you're after signing a new six-year contract. Yeah. So the, the club, again, we know that uh, contracts aren't always you know, worth the paper they're written on. But, I mean, if they were to let him go, or it's a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So they've backed him with a six-year contract, mm. and then he down tools. So it's not quite... There's no credibility towards him then, yeah. really, is there? The, the contract is only there to protect the club, to stop something happening like Sanchez, for example, who, yeah. when they want to run down their contract. That's the only reason why you have a five-year deal, a six-year deal. But it doesn't matter. You could pen to paper on a five-year deal tomorrow, and if you then decide I want to go elsewhere, the players have all the power. Another player could have went to Chelsea was uh, Ross Barkley. Yeah, strange oh, one. Stranger. I was reading last night that he never had the medical at Chelsea at all. Oh. And that was his own words, saying he never had the medical at Chelsea and that he had an injury and that he didn't feel it would be right to go to another club uh, with an injury. Right. And that's why he decided not to go anywhere. Right. Well, the original rumour was that he did the medical and in the middle of the medical, he kind of went, look, I, I've got cold feet here. I don't want to go. Yeah. Um, now, Ross Barkley's an interesting one again. I mean, I think Chelsea tried to sign him and drink water to add to their English contingent. Obviously, they have to have a certain amount of numbers. But um, he, he needs to sort himself out at Everton. Don't mind going anywhere else because he's, he's in and out of favour with a few managers now over the last year or so. I have a feeling that Ross Barkley got a little bit of advice and said you will make more money if you deal with 
Chelsea Football Club or whoever it is in January you will get bigger signing on uh, fees and stuff like that so I really do think that that had something to do with it because he's in his last year so yeah yeah well, uh, also, I mean, someone will come in for him if he's in his last year, so yeah. it's not like he's going to be on the scrap heap yet. Now, Arsenal. Oh. Arsenal have so many players on their last year of contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the Ox, who went to Liverpool, uh, Sanchez, who else is on it? Is it Ozil? Ozil as well, yeah. Why would you let your, all these players go down on a one year? I thought Arsenal learned a lesson with the likes of Nasri and a few of these guys that played out their last year and hit the sunset. Yeah. I really thought they'd learned a lesson and I'm just saying there the length of a contract is literally to protect the club yeah. so these guys can't walk away now Arsenal would have made 60 million say on Sanchez in a year to go it's incredible money now they obviously didn't exercise that because they couldn't get the players in but um, Arsenal are damaging their name by allowing these guys to leave it must be so frustrating to be an Arsenal supporter right now they're damaging their name because they're letting these fellas <coughs> be in charge yeah you know, they're not. It looks like well, Arsenal can't hold on to players. These lads are dom- are dominating their 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 transfer system. So you know they don't have any. So I think what you have is with two years left in the contract, clubs need to say, "Listen, are you signing or not? Or we're going to sell you." Because it looks like players are willing to sit out a half a season or whatever till January and and leave. Yeah, and it's no problem to them. And again, if you look at a couple of the clubs that stood firm this year, Liverpool stood firm over Coutinho. Southampton stood firm over Van Dijk and you got to respect that you know they weren't going to get let, and even Barcelona come knocking everyone says when Barcelona come knocking you got to basically give them your player so you know fair play to Liverpool for holding out on that one I was delighted to see for Liverpool that continues back all of a sudden uh, realigned itself in Brazil yeah so it seemed that he needed a hug and a kiss off the Brazilian physio and <laughs> back <laughs> again that's it yeah, so they, be, they might bring him into the club uh, will they get the best out of Coutinho um, I hope so well they've no choice now they've, they've got a man up this year with Coutinho I think he has to have a big season now um, I see, look he'll be welcomed when he comes back in he's a different type of player but um, yeah, he's after making life a little bit more difficult for himself but I think he'll respond and I think they'll get the best out of him Diego Costa is not one of the players that I'm fond of I don't like mm. his attitude um, what happened with Diego Costa? I saw a brilliant interview last year with Diego Costa on a golf course with Thierry Henry, half in English, half in Spanish. And he basically told Henry flat out, I want to move. I don't like London and I will move. And I want to go to Atletico. And when he did that, Henry's face was just lit up. He he actually didn't know what to say. Yeah, It was complete honesty. He does not like where he is. He didn't like the Premier League. He had issues with everyone blaming him for tackles and his whatever behaviour on the pitch. But he was completely upfront and honest, which I found very interesting. But he, again, set his stall out and said, look, this is it. Now, he definitely fell out with Conte towards the end of last season. But uh, incredible that that can happen with your star player. Uh, Any deadline transfers that you remember? Yeah, so... Well, I guess the ones that didn't, they did and didn't happen, but I'm looking at it, Mbappe, who went on a loan deal to Monaco, or sorry, from Monaco. That's incredible again. This makes a bit of a farce. It definitely does. 180 million, they reckon, next year. They're obliged to buy him now after one season alone. Now, they already signed Neymar, who's getting a half a million a week, which again is incredible money, but uh, what a forward line they have now. But 
why would Monaco sell their best player but not sell him put him out on loan so they don't even receive the money this year to be able to do anything with their club they put him out on loan to a club who is a rival for the championship in France it doesn't make sense to me well they obviously preempted this that they're going to completely dismantle their whole team I mean there's nothing left of that Champions League team last year so they let go of Mbappe they let go of the defenders they, just, they, they got stripped completely so I think they made up their mind this is what we're going to do and I mean they've made a lot of money in this window they made a lot. do they need the money though well, it's Monaco well this time next year they'll have another 180 million so right. they're doing something right depending on what way you look at it but yeah. obviously the team is going to suffer but they're a feeder club you know they seem to that's what they do they produce players kind of like in Southampton yeah Arsenal made 30 million in the transfer window mm-hmm. so they won't go bankrupt but they may not do anything on the pitch Brighton got a couple of interesting players uh, Jose Esquerdo from Club Bruges for 13 and a half million I think that's a record for them they also got Tim Krul in from Newcastle which is mm. a, an interesting one as well Burnley, not too sure. Chris Wood, 15 million. Just, I'm not totally sure on him. Crystal Palace had Mohamed Soko for 26 million. And Liverpool wouldn't let him go last year because they wanted 30. They sold him for 26. I think that'd be a good boy for Crystal Palace. But I think they're going to be a little... Swansea, Renato Sanchez and Wilford Boney. If it's the old Wilford Boney and Renato Sanchez... They actually could do well. There you go. As in, stay in the Premier League. But the old Wilfred Wilfred Bromley, where does he? Or where where has he been for the last two years? Um, Liverpool, Ox. It's it's crazy to say he's a squad player, but where does he fit in? When when the first eleven is fit, when you've got Coutinho back in there, I I know he's good cover. I mean, you can play him for Mane, you can play him for Salah. You could actually play him in Lallana's role as well, slightly deeper. I don't think he's a centre mid. He has this idea that he is. Mm. But, um, yeah, good squad player. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. Do you know the way you look, you look at Arsenal, you think, what would another manager do with that group of Arsenal players? This is one time you're going to see what a different manager with a different mentality does with, with Ox. I, I can't wait to see what Klopp does with him. Yeah. I'd say he'll be very, very on the ball with this guy. He'll be flying into people. Well, he works hard. So, he does work you know, hard. That's, that's, the, that's the big thing mm. for, for Klopp normally. He's a Klopp type of player, that kind of high energy, high press. You know, I, I think he'll do well. He'll be very suited to the system. Man United did their business early. Newcastle, but no one of any substance. Mm. Southampton, uh, bought a few different interesting players. Uh, Lemina from Juventus 15.4 million Wesley Height for 15.5 million defender from Lazio so interesting to see how they do Stoke brought in Kevin Wimmer for 18 million a lot of overpriced players for as, yeah. as they said for average thing Hesse obviously being one that'll be interesting there Spores made a big lump, jump at the end for Lorente and uh, Serge Aurere is it Aurere? Aurere I can't get his name yeah. but 23 million for a rifle mm-hmm. and Lorente 15 million for a squad player and you've had a few others. West Brom, I thought, did really good. They got in uh, Krakowczak, isn't it, from Paris Saint-Germain. They also got Oliver Bork in, 15 million from uh, Leipzig, who had an absolute brilliant season over in Germany last year. And Gareth Barty for a sneaky 1 million. And West Ham, well, West Ham are going to struggle. And I believe 
David Gold or was it O'Sullivan? I'm always getting two of them mixed up. I had it there somewhere. Uh, practically sold out Savin Village, saying that they had Carvalho and crap, can't think of the other one. And he didn't want them. He said we had enough players. Well, and Spartan Lisbon came out last night and said that they never made a, a, an inquiry about Carvalho in the last week they never put a bid in for him and basically that O'Sullivan or Gold I can't remember which it's O'Sullivan, it's O'Sullivan uh, is a liar there you go so is are they trying to throw Billich under the, under the train already yeah I think he's he's definitely going to be one that has the most pressure on him at the moment isn't he Billich I think so very right. poor at the end of last season haven't really hit the ground running could be gone. They're struggling to settle in at their new home. Yeah. Yeah, that's Spurs. You're listening to Liffy Sound, www.liffysoundfm.ie. Listen online. Community radio at its best. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. As I said, it's 087-062-7138 if you want to send a text message in. Also, if you can't remember that number, it's up on the Liffy Sound website. 96.4 FM. Okay, Neil. Shamrock Rovers posted up a picture with Damien Duff's under-15 side. Uh, earlier this week and it was a picture of them training but it wasn't the normal hour give us a give us an insight into what it was yeah so um the shamrock rovers under 15s have a new training regime where they're starting at 6 15 a.m with damien duff stephen bradley stephen mcphail and then they finish at 7 35 a.m shower get their breakfast and off to school so they're doing an early morning session yes so it, they're training four times a week, I believe. Uh, it's only one morning, is it? One morning, three evenings. Okay. Six o'clock, so they'll have to... They, do they have to meet at six o'clock or are they up at six o'clock? It looks like the training starts at 6.15 and okay. then it goes on. So an, an hour and a half, roughly, of training in the morning. Okay. What do you think the benefits are? I think it's brilliant. Um, the three evenings, but the early morning start, you know, teaches the boys a bit of responsibility regularity gives them an extra session you know there, someone put in one of the facebook comments that it's roughly about 70 extra hours a week of or sorry a year yeah. of football yeah which is excellent um like these are kids that are very very committed obviously um but yeah i think it's great for them do you think i know it's a leaving cert or not leaving cert junior cert year for them 
do they would it be as easy to do an, an, an evening session do you think as as a morning session and do you think it's purely just to let these no, lads know that we're going to tell we're going to let you know that you know your user professional now and you have to do things in a professional manner or should they just be let do their school work have their sleep and get on with it I think that's the idea. I think it's to separate them from other maybe age groups and from everybody else. The idea is, listen, you're not just committed for your three nights or your three evenings. You're also going to have to do this early morning. It gives them a kind of a different sense of purpose. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it, it, you know, you separate the weak from the strong when you do something like this because, you know, you, you know the kids are in it for real. Um, but like these kids all have aspirations of going on further. Um, the parents obviously think so it's a massive massive commitment on the parents side um, like if someone come up to me and said hey you got to have your kid up at 6.15 in the morning for training on a weekday you'd be like really so you know it, it adds to it but I think it's, it's I think it's a good idea so if your, if your kid was to play for Shamrock Rovers would you be happy getting up at quarter past five in the morning no <laughs> <laughs> No one, but I mean, look, it's you wouldn't be happy with it, but I mean, it's the same. And look, we all, myself, myself, we do our coach and we look after our team. So, I mean, you know, I'm probably doing four nights a week as it is with an extra morning. If it was maybe, you know, tit for tat, like again, and then not an evening, yeah, maybe that would, that would be more doable. But um, again, if you're in that mode where you think your kid is going to go on and achieve something and your kid has that drive, like these are 15 year olds, so I mean, you know, they have an idea where they want to be. Um, and I think it's a good way to teach them a bit of commitment. Yeah. I would definitely increase, you know, the team building, even everyone getting together at that hour of the morning and then going off to school. Yeah. There's worse ways of spending the morning, you know. There is. A lot of people say in bed is, is, a, great, yeah, is a great way. That's it. But, yeah, I can understand it. I, I do think that you're right. I think that on there is responsibility to get up. There is a togetherness that we're doing something together to gel the team. I don't think there's a difference between training in the morning and training in the evening, obviously, because what possible difference could there be that you're, you're, you're getting any benefit out of it? But I suppose you will be fresher in school because you're awake earlier. I mean, I, I mean, you, you obviously have to go to bed earlier. So you have to get disciplined on, on when you go to bed so you make sure that you, you get your rest. So maybe it is a, a, a discipline thing more than anything. That's it. If you There's a couple of managers I played under that would be remain nameless. They had a big thing about getting up, getting preparation correct, uh, even something like cleaning your boots, making sure all, you know, you've got to look after your nutrition, you've got to look after your wares, everything that you're on time. I think it's a good learning curve for them as well. Um, and it is something different, and it's something that I think would stand to these kids, definitely. And again, you'll only look back over the year yeah. and say, this was what that gave us. And an extra 70 hours a year, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive, you know? It is. Uh, all, obviously, all these players won't make it, because not every player does make it. Uh, even all these players won't make it in League of Ireland with Shamrock Rovers, because... They will have the 15s, we'll be 13s, obviously, 13s, 15s, 17s and 19s. And when they hit 19s, so these 18 and 19-year-olds, they all can't go into the first team. So a lot of them are going to possibly disappear out of the game or maybe into amateur football. But I suppose it's a good experience for them. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's okay. I, I, I certainly wouldn't be an advocate for going any more than probably the one morning a week because yeah. I don't think there's the need. I think you ha- they, they have the facilities down there. But yeah, certainly for, for discipline and see who's willing to do the work. Yeah, t- you test out the players. Well, talking to a few guys now, I know one guy that's on the 15s now this year. Uh, his son is on the 15s now. He's, for the last three or four years, he's been doing extra sessions, be it down on his own green, or uh, Shamrock Rovers actually sent a coach out to his house. The guy lived in Salins. All right. um, he also did an extra session, obviously, then on the Sunday with the EPT. Um, but very, very committed. And I think the one thing this guy was very impressed with Rovers with was that they're not just teaching these kids for the now. They're trying to teach them for the three years, four years down the line. They're emphasizing school. They're emphasizing education that, you know, they understand that people won't make it. Um, but there, I know even Stephen Bradley hinted about it, that it's not just when he grew up, he found that he had an issue dealing with real life and school and football because all he's seen was football. Yeah. So he didn't think he was being educated in a manner that he could handle this kind of lifestyle as well as stuff going on, in the, in, I guess, in the real world from as far as he was concerned. So I think Rovers are getting that spot on. They're not just emphasising on the football. They're emphasising, you know, get up, exercise, healthy breakfast, and then get to school and get the education. Yeah, um, very, yeah, very impressive way of, work, of running it. Good. It's good to see that there's actually something changing in, in Irish football, that they're actually taking it seriously now and that they're willing to, I suppose, push the boat out I mean they do it all over Europe they, they, they have school runs they bring them to school they, they, they take them back they have their training sessions and, and they're looking after the players as long as they look after them when they hit that 18, 19 years of age and they're not just thrown on the, the, the heap out the back when they're, when they're not good enough to play for Shamrock Rovers that they're looked after football-wise after that. It shouldn't be a problem. Right, Neil, I think we'll play a song and then after the song we will be talking to boxing promoter Stephen Sharp about all things boxing. Yeah! Um, welcome back to the big kickoff and Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. This Saturday, the 9th of September, in the National Stadium, sees Celtic Clash 3 provide a tasty card for all boxing enthusiasts. Joining us on the line is boxing promoter Stephen Sharp to let us know what we can expect from that night. Stephen, welcome to the big kickoff. How are you, Roy? Thank you. Good, good. Listen, Stephen, when you put a card together like Celtic Clash 3, where do you start and what are you looking for? Uh, you're looking to make fights. You're looking to make um, fights that, that people are interested in. You know, that are going to get the fans through the door. So that's, that's the first priority. Yeah. Um, we've been lucky with this one. Um, we have a real good one to top the bill in, in Eric Duncan versus Dwight Davis. And a really exciting under, uh, undercard, um, which also includes Regan um, Buckley versus Carl McDonald. So this, this is a good one. You know, we're happy with how the matchmaking went on this one. Yeah, um, we have, um, hold on now, I'll just get my levels right, I'm a bit loud here. We have uh, Eric Donovan, he's from Kildare, is that right? And Eric, yeah, and, Eric's over Toy. And Doi 
Dolly Davis Welsh Davis. champion. So this is for the, the BUI Celtic featherweight title. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a real good fight. This is this is really, a, particularly amongst boxing fans, this is a really anticipated fight. Um, it's a dangerous fight for Eric. Um, this Dolly Davis is a really experienced um, fighter, and he's had a real run of it. He's won the last five of his seven fights. You know, he's been in with. You know, he's very, very experienced. You know, he's a. He's, he's, this is only Eric's fifth professional fight. Right. You know, um, Dory's been in with Daddy Matthews, Lee Selby, Kilgar had. Kilgar had, he um, boxed around Polly Hoyland. Um, he, the last time he boxed in Ireland, he won up in Belfast. He beat Marco McCullough. You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous opponent and a, and a you know, typical fight for Eric. Great. Uh, Carl McDonald, I believe, from Tala. Carl, yes. Yeah, he'll box Regan Buckley. This is an interesting one. Uh, Carl has fought. Uh, has he fought John John Nevin? Carl in 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 amateur. Has he fought John John Nevin before, or am I reading that wrong? I'm not 100 percent sure, sure on that. It's a bantamweight fight, anyhow. What do we yeah. expect? What do we expect from Carl? Well, this everyone is looking forward to this. Carl, both lads, both Regan and um, Carl won intermediate title last year. Um, a lot of people were surprised when this fight was made. You know, um, two lads are really, really confident. But it's it's one that everyone is looking forward to. You know, it's, it's going to be a cracker of a fight. Both both boys are convinced they're going to win. Um, it should be a good fight. I don't know how it's going to play out. Um, Regan Buckley, you know, he's, he's, Regan is good. You know, he's, he's a good boxer. Um, so whether he goes on the back foot um, or whether he comes to fight car, we're not sure. But it should be a really, really good fight. Yeah, we obviously had John Joyce in on our show, John, and yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're supporting John uh, an awful lot. Uh, who's John fighting, and what can we expect from his fight and a second, John, second, uh, second fight now? I think. Yeah, this you know, John is, It's going to be a tough one for John as well. Um, John is fighting a guy called James Garner from Belfast. Um, I was actually talking to John the other day. At a media event, and uh, you, they, they call James Gorman the chin, you know, so a tough, a tough operator. Again, a lot of experience. Um, so it's a, it's a nice step up for John, Brilliant. you know, and it, it'll, it'll be a tough way for him. What can a good competitive card, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good fights on, on this card. What, what, what about the, the rest of it? There's about 18 fights, is that right? Yeah, there's, well, there's not, there's 15 fights. Okay. So we, we ran Celtic Clash 2 in May, um, and that made boxing history for the, the number of fights on the one card with 14 fights. This one is going to break that again, 15 fights. Um, and also then we have seven fighters making their, their debut on the card. So that, that's another record, yeah. you know, for, for the most number of debuts. So um, in terms of the lads making their debut, we have Colin O'Donovan, um, he's, he's from Cork, Aidan Metcalf and um, Martin Queen, they're both Crumlin lads. Dylan McDonough from Tallaght, we have James Carl. Greystone. We've also Michael Gallagher making his debut on the show. Michael, um, a lot of boxing people know Michael. He's a, he won a bronze um, Youth Olympic medal back in 2014. He also won the bronze schoolboy European Championships medal in 2010. So he's a really good, uh, he's a really good amateur. So he's going to make his debut as well. We've Noel O'Connor, Chris Mullally. So there's a, there's a lot of lads there going to come in and experience for the first time professional boxing on the night. Great. Uh, if someone hasn't been to, I suppose, a boxing card like Celtic Clash 2, Celtic Clash 3, uh, how would you encourage them to go? And what, if they haven't been to the National Stadium, how would you describe the National Stadium to them? Well, the National Stadium is the, 
the home of Irish boxing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been going there since I've been 10 years of age. Um, and I suppose, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, I think in, in Europe, it's one of the only boxing only arenas, you know, so it's, it's a special place. Um, and there's a great atmosphere in it for anybody that hasn't been in it in, t- in terms of how it's structured, you know, the ring and the centre, you know, the, it, it's just, it, it, it kind of grabs the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and look, pro boxing, it's about the entertainment as well, it's about the show, you know, we, we've put a lot of work in the planning of this event, you know, to, to, to make it a, to make it a good show, you know, so it's, it's just entertaining in terms of the music, the ring walks, you know, and, and obviously then a, a good quality of boxing. So it's a good night out. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and and the show, the Celtic Clash, um, Boxner and Promotions and Tony Davis Promotions. We what we do is we 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 put on a lot of fights, you know. So it's you know it, it, we start at half four, run till half ten. So you know the, the bar opens then in the ring, so at about seven o'clock. You know, so like that, yeah, it's a, it's it's a good kind of afternoon and evening. Now. Yeah. You know, you can come along from 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 four thirty. Good. Uh, what's your boxing background, Stephen? Me, yeah, I boxed a little bit when I was. When I was younger, um, I had to stop there with the, the skin condition. Um, I was around boxing for years. I, I had a cousin, Paul Griffin, who uh, a lot of people would know him. He went to the, to the Barcelona Olympics yeah. European gold medal. So I was always a big, big fan. And we drifted away then in you know, my late teens. Um, and then I went back into college when I was about 24. And just from doing, just doing essays, I realised I liked writing. I loved boxing. I started boxing writing. Um, I started boxing writing then for... Um, boxing Ireland, who uh, Leonard Gunner, Leonard Gunner is, is involved in this promotion. Um, through boxing writing, then got to know fighters, start managing fighters. Um, I've been involved over the years with young Philip Sutliff, Anthony Fitzgerald. I was involved with Willie Casey towards the end of his career. Then I took a step away for a couple of years. Um, myself and my wife Caroline had, a, had another baby. Um, I had no intention of getting back involved, and uh, and then I just, you know, Leonard Gunner contacted me there about a year ago saying would I be interested in just helping him out with a fighter because Eric uh, Leonard had signed Eric Donovan and he was looking to sign Sean Cray to another fighter that's involved in us and before I knew it I'm back neck high in it you know that's great yeah and so uh, so you, you, you kind of stumbled your way into promoting and, and managing again is that is, is that would that be the way or did you kind of want to get back into it at some stage no I no, I, di- I didn't really know. Right. No, I just because I, 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 you know, I work full time. Yeah. Um. You know, so this is this is kind of a hobby as such. Yeah. But uh, look, once you're involved in boxing, you've ever been involved. It's always going to draw you back. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's just it's something I, I really love. Um. And I'm delighted to be back involved now. You know, and and, and myself and and Leonard of Boxing Ireland and and Tommy Dabble, we have a plan. You know, boxing, uh, boxing, I suppose, has struggled, particularly professional boxing in Ireland over the last couple of years. Um, so we kind of put our heads together. We felt that, you know, the, you know, it could work, you know, open towards that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that we see where it goes. Great. What does... Well, what does the promoter do? So, say, this day-to-day thing, or even on the on fight night itself, what's a promoter's job, I suppose, and what does it entail? What's the schedule? What's when, when the fights are on? Is he even watching the fights? Um, well, I suppose our, our job starts from as soon as we, we agree that we're gonna we're gonna run a show. Like we 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 do everything. We also we do you know we do the PR. You know, there's the whole of there's, suppose, there's event management. You know, there's there's booking the venue. There's the security, DJ, there's, there's all that, 
element of it, you know, your 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 fighting shoulders. Then you got to go and, and look at, you know, I suppose in terms of get fighters on, get home fighters on. So, you know, service them, you know, service all the contracts for them. And then you got to go and match make, you know. So you got to go around Europe trying to find um, fighters to come and fight the home lads. Um, you got to look, you know, tickets, and then you got to get the tickets out. So it's, it's constant. Like you're talking kind of eight, nine weeks. You know where it can be, where it can be kind of all-consuming, um, and then on the night, then it's just making sure you know you got to staff the stadium. You know, make sure you know the people you need are there, and, and just just hope that it that it runs smoothly. But it it is time-consuming. Yeah. You know, ask me why <laughs> time it takes. Up, you know that there is a lot of work. You know, particularly because we, you know, myself and Leonard, you know, would have started off from a kind of journalistic background. So so we do all the PR. Yeah, you know all the videos, you know. So we, we we would do an awful lot of that when it promotes. So any fighter that comes onto our show, you know, we do videos of them and articles of them. So, you know, we're constantly trying to promote and get and get the fighters out there and, and get the show out there. Yeah, well, I, I I hadn't seen too much of the Celtic Clash two promotions. Um, I've only been more aware of it since then. Uh, since I suppose we, we looked at John in, in, in his first fight and. I was surprised at how how well the the promotional side was, and yet it's probably mostly boxing fans who who know about it because it's tucked away in its own sort of boxing world, isn't it? So uh, I yeah, suppose you're, you're trying to tap into the outside the boxing world to get them in and get them interested. As I said, as a night out. Yeah, the main like the, it's, you know it's still it, the job is trying to attract the mainstream. You know, in, in, back into boxing. Um, I suppose since Bernard done, after the kind of Bernard done era, you know, it, it's been difficult. You know, we haven't had, I suppose, a star, particularly television. With no television involved, it makes it difficult. It makes it difficult for sponsorship, and it makes it difficult in engaging the mainstream media. But, uh, but like that, you know, we we're, we're getting the support. Like the, the guys at IrishBoxing.com, you know, they're brilliant. Yeah. The amount of time they give to. You know, to promote Irish boxing, and we got a lot of support from. You know, there's a, there's a great article in the Evening Herald yesterday, or the Herald, don't they? Don't call it the Evening. I mean, or the Herald, um, Brooke McDonald, Eamon Carr. You know, so there is, you know, there is people out there who, who really do support us. Yeah. Um, and it's about just trying to build it. You know, and and, and hopefully find it find a star amongst the the current crop that we have. You know, so, that attracts the the mainstream. Back yeah. Then. So, so you just need a star, don't you? Someone, yeah, to to spark it up again. So what? what yeah, and Eric Donovan, you know, uh, Eric Donovan is that star, I believe. You know, and 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 the, the mainstream media are interested in Eric. Yeah. You know, and and I suppose um, boxing and promotions and, and Tommy Davis, we're trying to provide that platform. Yeah. You know, but I, I believe, you know, I, I was, um, I went to watch Eric's last bar yesterday in the All Saints Boxing Club in Sunrise, and the guy is just. He's amazing. He's so gifted, you know. He's so technically gifted, and I think if he's given Eric gets the opportunity, you know, he can he can really break through. Yeah. So when you look at Irish boxing, especially after the Olympics, I know that's the amateur side. But when you look at Irish boxing and the, the disappointment at the Olympics, what kind of shape is is, is Irish boxing in? Well, Joe Joe Ward, look what he's after achieving again. Yeah. Um, you know, we've always had the the, the, the talent there. Um, you know, there's, there's been a, I suppose, just in the last year or so, a lot of the lads, you know, um, have turned over. Paddy Barnes has gone over. Michael Condon has gone over. So a lot of the lads have gone. But we've always just seemed to been able to churn out 
you know, these really talented, you know, amateur fighters. Um, and I still, that, that's, that's still, that's still continuing. Um, but like that, you know, uh, Joe Ward boxed in the, you know, the, the final of the World Championship yesterday. Yeah. A national broadcaster didn't broadcast it. No, we were just discussing you know, that there ourselves. We didn't discuss like, it on air, but we just discussed it off air where know, we watched you know, it. I watched it on it, Facebook. <laughs> it makes me really angry, you know, it's, 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 it's really unfair. You know, like, to get to the World Championship finals, you know, it's one of the most difficult. It is the most difficult in terms of boxing and tournaments to, to get to, you know. But it's, it's a massive, massive achievement. Um, and, and it, you know, it, it, the, the sport doesn't get the, the support, you know. And really, it does kind of come down to our national broadcaster. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that need to be supporting Irish boxing, you know. Do What did you think of the Joe Ward fight? He's done, he's already done well. You know, that, the Cuban is just exceptional, isn't he? Yeah, he you, you come across a fighter now and again, and, and I was watching, I was going, Joe Ward would probably need another two of himself in there just to pin him down. Yeah. You know, really, really, you know, elusive and slick and, you know, and difficult, and, you know, it's difficult to even get an angle on him, you know. But Joe, Joe was exceptional. You know, Joe, Joe was only a young man, I think he's only 23. 23, that's right, yeah. It's incredible, and, and to look what he's achieved, you know, it, it really, really is incredible. If it went to a pro fight between the two and you had to fight 12 rounds, is it a different fight? Yeah. I, I mean, can, 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 could La Cruz fight the way he fights for 12 rounds? You know, it's three rounds, you have your energy, high energy levels. Would, yeah. would you be able to fight that way for, would, without getting caught in cords? Yeah, or, or not, and, he, and he did get caught, in fairness to Joe. Joe landed on him a few times, you know. But I suppose on the flip side of it, you know, just say over 12 rounds, Joe was to chase him around the ring. Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's that, that ain't easy on the, the energy reserves either. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, true. You know, he's just, just, he's just an exceptionally talented, you know, and the Cubans have a... You know, they have a habit of, of producing these these type of fighters. Brilliant boxers, you yeah. Know? Yeah, I suppose it's 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 maybe just appreciating, you know, how good the Cuban is, you know, is, instead of kind of you know being disappointed about about Joe not winning. Yeah. Uh, but look, Joe's day was Joe's day will come, you know. Um, and I, I read an article last night when it was about, you know, the, the possibilities maybe of, of, of that Cuban. You know, being lowered out with Cuba and torn a professional soon enough. So, you know, Joe, I'd imagine Joe will, will get his chance again. Well, I'd love to see. I'd love to see the two of them go pro because I think they're they're, they're two really special talents. Um, yeah, I, I think Joe is going to hang around for another for the next yeah for well, the next Olympics. I think he he was. What is the difference? You have a few debutants. Uh, yeah. In the last one and this one, what's the difference for them going from amateur to professional? Um. I suppose it's interesting. Some of these, like the likes of um, James Catalade and Medcalf, they, they, you know, they have a good bit of amateur experience. And then some of the other lads don't. You know, like uh, there's a lad Martin Martin Quinn. You know, um, I think Martin could be a star just domestically. You know, just because of his style. Um, so the lads who don't, like the likes of Martin, doesn't have a massive amount of uh, amateur experience. You know, so he, he can kind of adapt to it more, or he can develop. Yeah. You know, his, his, his boxing based on on. on Program and um, for the amateurs, it's 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 slowing it down. Right. You know, it's it's sitting more on the shots. You know, you don't have to be as busy. Yeah. You know, it's because there's more rounds there, so it's going to conserve an energy. Um, sitting down on the shots. You know, learning to walk more on the inside. You know, the amateur can be 
point picking in and out, you know, so just to, to, to be able to settle down more and rough it up more. You know, and learn the tricks of the trade yeah. of, of professional boxing. Yeah. Um, tickets, are there tickets left and, and how much are they? There is some tickets left. Um, tickets are 40 euro and 60 euro and we have some kids tickets for 15 euro. Um, you can get tickets from any of the fires um, and every fire has their own personal poster. So if you go onto Facebook and find a fire that you know, you'll find their number on the poster. Or alternatively, where tickets are also on Ticketmaster.ie. Brilliant. And one last question for you, Stephen, before we let you go. Um, who's the greatest fighter of all time? Greatest fighter of all time. Um, There's been a few now. The has, yeah. The has. Um, for, for me, Ali. Ali. Why? Yeah. Why does, he, why does, why does Ali stand out ahead of? Let's just say Mayweather seems he has been fighting recently. Why would you put him ahead of him? For me, it was just what what he like for the weight division that he was in. Yeah, you know what he could do. You know, the lighter like the lighter Mayweather. You know, small acting and down around welterweight or lighter. You know, but Ali was you know he was a heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. And he was just so kind of it's just his movement. Quick, you know, quick as well, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. For, for that size, yeah, yeah. You know, he was, just, he was incredible. Well, listen, Stephen, uh, I won't be able to make it. I will be off on holidays, but David's going to make his way down uh, to the, to the fight. And I have to say, I'd love to be there, but if there's a Celtic Clash 4 or whatever there you name be. it. Don't uh, worry. Good. There will be. I will certainly make my way down. If no you're problem, right. at home, online, or listening on the podcast, Go, get your tickets, have a look, see what you think. It's a great night out and uh, you w- will not be disappointed. Listen, Stephen, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much, Roy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Talk to you. Bye-bye. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. International football, Neil. We got a glimpse of the Republic of Ireland yesterday against Georgia. More than a glimpse, probably too many glimpses for our liking. Uh, go on, share your thoughts. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. Um, it's kind of what we expect, I think, these days when we go to Georgia and places like that. Um, we just can't hold on to the ball. We other team outplayed us. Like this is Georgia outplaying us. This is not like kind of coming a home game and watching Ireland v Germany and Poland and a few of these bigger countries. Um, yeah, it's just a bit disappointing. Great start, four minutes in, great goal, really happy, and then literally for the rest of the game, you're standing at the back of the couch afraid to watch the game. It's a, it's a, it was a goal that was given to us first of all. Mm-hmm. I mean, the keeper made it. Let's put it this way. It made an arse of it. He did. Basically coming out for the ball that he didn't need to come out for. But this is not something that's... And Martin O'Neill was asked last night. This is not something that is uncommon. That when Ireland go a goal up, they sit back on their own 18-yard box and try and defend that 1-0 lead. 
it's not, I personally believe that it's nothing got to do with we're not capable of playing football. I believe that if we're put in a shape to make sure that it's hard for them to get through us, to try and get through a game as long as possible at that score line, if it's one nil or one all or whatever he's trying to consolidate. And it just invites pressure on. And to make Georgia, I mean, how many Georgians are playing in the top leagues in the, in, in the world? How many playing in the premiership? To make them look like Spain or Barcelona at their peak, and that's what they exactly they look like, there's something wrong with how we're playing. Has to be something wrong with, with, with the way we're shaped up. Yeah, I agree. I think the mentality comes from the collective and the mentality is given to them by Martin O'Neill at the end of the day. Now, look, we all went through a couple of years of trap. It was kind of the same type of thing, but I don't know. We, we just seem to drop off so deep at the moment. And I think that's the issue is that we get into a good commanding position. And as you said, we're, we're set up with our two banks of four. Um, and you're relying on a, a kind of a moment then a genius, another moment from Shane Long or McLean or something like that. Um, and it just doesn't always happen. But to give to keep giving the other team the ball for the whole 90 minutes is is madness. And, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. If you keep giving them the ball, they're going to punish you. Um, and you could see that coming last night. I mean, you could see their equaliser coming. What's worrying for me is the response after they scored. So they got them in at half time. I think we were lucky to get in at half time at one all. It's a little bit worrying that they didn't regroup at half time and try change something and try push a little bit further up the field or try something. Because um, at no stage of that game did we look like we were going to pick up three points. I think when he changed it, he did change it in the second half and he did push another man forward or forward at times I didn't know who it was it was Walters at one stage who drifted in more centrally then James McLean pushed on so I think he was more playing centre midfield than pushing on and when you put them under some sort of a, of pressure they weren't as comfortable passing the ball around they didn't get the gaps and, and the time and the ball that they did before and we were counter-attacking a lot more and we did for the last 20 minutes maybe 25 minutes create chances that were game winning chances so it shows me that if you set up your team in a way to I think whatever way you set up your team if you set up to draw it's, it's the best you're going to do if you set up to, to win you know obviously then you have a, a, a great chance of, of winning games but he seems to be setting himself up with an inferiority complex and it's a bit like Trap he didn't have that at the start and it's drifting in more and more he's, he's happy to consolidate a position of one nil away is, is, is a great result, which is a great result. But after four minutes, you can't play like that, surely. No, you definitely can't. And again, look, I think it depends on the opposition sometimes. Like we're going to go in on Tuesday night and I'll be there on Tuesday night and you're playing against Serbia. So they're thought of as a bigger team. So the expectancy is that we will we line up exactly the same way. Um, you know, any of our big performances, the Germany one there before the, the Euros, we, we lined up exactly like we did. But the difference is the expectation is different. The expectation when you're playing against Georgia should be different. We should be going out there and getting on the front foot. When we played them at home, it was exactly the same thing. We allowed them to have the ball. But when we pushed, when we pushed as a unit, and I'm not just talking Shane Long chasing a guy down over 50 yards or McLean chasing a guy down, Walters. like They're, they're great willing runners. But if the whole team doesn't push up, you know, you're going to go nowhere. Like, how many times did we see our defenders last night? They're aiming for Shane Long. When I say aiming, it's in his general vicinity, but it's going nowhere near him. And, I mean, they're hoofing the ball away. We're losing possession. And 
it's it's soul destroying to watch and the mentality playing against Serbia should be no different than the mentality playing against Georgia. We should be pressing teams like this into mistakes, um, but we don't. But again, when we play on Tuesday night, we're going to go out against Serbia. We're going to be thinking these are a big team. They're top of the group. Even the crowd will be happy for us to kind of play like that in little pockets. Yeah, I think if you set the way we set up, if you have a 4-5-1 and it was a very flat five in front of a, a, a back four, that if you get a ball, there is no options to pass out and Shane Long is your only option. That's why we're kicking it long. So we're not set up well. You don't have your, I suppose, classier players as uh, Hooligan who get on the ball, dictate the pace of the, uh, the play. Uh, Horgan, who didn't even get in the match squad. There was 24, uh, which was baffling to me because we had two goalkeepers on the bench. We had 20 four players 23 can make the card and we had two goalkeepers on the bench and why Daryl Horgan wouldn't be on the bench I'm, unless you have to have two but I, I, I would doubt that you have to have two goalkeepers on the bench so something tells me that well I don't think it's going to change I don't I think in Serbia I don't think we're going to change he already said oh these are technically better so he's going to go in with that frame of mind that we have to go in and shut up shop and make it hard for them but when we played Wales, when we played Austria, we pressurised these teams. Well, not the Wales game, the last Wales game, but before that. We pressurised these teams into mistakes. They're only human like everyone else. So I cannot understand why, against Serbia, when we played them, we played them off the park for the first 10 minutes or so. We went 1-0 up. We sat back, invited them on over in Serbia. They got a goal back. We st- stayed the same. They got the second goal back and then we decided to go and put pressure on them again and got our equaliser. So, I mean, I'm all on for not being gung-ho and going for it, but I really do think that you have to try and set yourself out. Uh, I mean, the best form of defending is attacking. I think he puts his fate in a style, in a particular style. Um, but if you even look back at Martin O'Neill's teams over the years, look at Leicester even when he made him, kind of made him a bit more famous, Celtic the way they used to drive at teams. He always got better results with high energy, high press. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand why he's kind of retreated into this shell. Another thing was the midfield last night, we were saying there about when we win the ball, Harry Arthur was winning the ball, but it was only 10, 15 yards ahead of his 18-yard box which means he can't really go anywhere, as you're saying there. The only long ball then is to Shane Long forward, right? Grant, Hardy Arthur struggled in that system last night. I yeah. don't think he compliments um, him and Glenn Whelan. I don't think they compliment each other in there. Um, Hulan, if he get on the ball, you would imagine he's better working in them little pockets of space where he can hold onto the ball that little bit longer to play the right ball out. Yeah. And then you can get up as a team. And I think that stifles us because neither of them two midfielders last night got their foot on the ball or made anything happen. It was literally like they were putting fires out all over the field and they were chasing around and they got tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, England. Did you watch the England game? Uh, I've seen highlights of the England game. Well, I had a choice between watching the England game or watching the Northern Ireland game. And the quality of Northern Ireland's play to England's play was far superior so I ended up watching the Northern Ireland game against San Marino now they had a little bit of trouble it took them a long time to get their their goal Uh, they ended up winning 3-0 but England just don't look they don't look confident I don't think I don't think they look confident at all within themselves as a unit and I've heard players say that when they go to play for England 
they go in nervous. I believe Harry Maguire went in for the first training session and went in. There was pictures of him, and I heard Paul Merson talking about him. He's going in and he's looking sheepish, and he's walking in, and he's you know there's I think Ray Houghton commented on it as well. He's walking in. There's no one putting an arm around him and saying welcome or anything. It's kind of like this is oh we're playing for England. Where if it was with the Irish, the Scottish, the Welsh, the Northern Irish lads would be coming over and hugging them and bringing them in. Yeah, welcome to you know you've you've done brilliant for your club and you know welcome to the thing and they'll show you around and there's more of a, a unity there. And England, there just seems to be a failure fear. I wonder if that's bred from the clubs, as in if you're you know playing for Tottenham up front, Harry Kane, do you really want to mix with other guys? I don't know if they have that same camaraderie that the Irish do, and that is something that it's always been there with the Irish. It always seems like there's one big happy family there. You know, years ago, throwback to years ago, you know, they're all out in the session afterwards and all. I wonder if the English even talk to each other after the game. They don't seem to inspire any sort of team confidence. Southgate doesn't look like the type of guy that can inspire that kind of, you know, camaraderie either and I think the pressure playing for them is huge and if you look at the likes of Rooney and a few players of that over the years remember at the time I think they drew at Wembley or they lost whatever it was but Rooney walking off the field and he was like thanks for booing us I, I think I don't think they literally enjoy playing for the having country. to go out and play for the country and yeah. I, I, they never seem to perform they never seem to relax yeah. and it doesn't matter what the manager is like they brought in Capello years ago it never seems to gel with them the there's always one team and they get to a tournament and they just seem to they just seem to gel. Everything just seems to be right. And England never, or very rarely, maybe you go back to 96, the last time, they actually felt they had a, a good bunch of guys there ready to do something and gel well. Yeah, I think they had Townsend, Andres Townsend playing in centre midfield, sitting with, with, I'm not sure if it was Henderson or not. Again, I, I didn't see the whole thing. Mm. I got the goals and stuff like that, but I got, uh, I was talking to a different couple of people who watched the game. I don't think they know what their best best team is either because if Rashford plays well on the lead up to it they're all asking for Rashford to play if Kane's playing well they want him to play you know if Danny Welbeck has a, a, a run of games why isn't Danny Welbeck playing so there's all sorts of pressure coming from all angles yeah and I don't think they can ever get the right balance you know I was listening to the pundits on Sky there yesterday and they were every one of them has an opinion but it was kind of like oh well you have to play Deli Ali and Harry Kane yeah. you don't really that's the whole idea of mixing and matching and finding what your best you know Harry Kane was laughed out at the last tournament because he couldn't even hit a free kick by the end of it yeah. like that's how much the pressure got to him yeah. um, but there's different type of mentalities there and you know it's up to Selke he has to find a mix that will go well on the field something that will look right and feel right rather than listen to everybody else you know yeah. um, I don't think he's many players on the team for a change they're undroppable. There used to be a time where you couldn't leave Rooney out. You know, you couldn't leave, you know, the certain defenders out when they were getting on in years. Shearer was a throwback where they, he announced his retirement and they had to play him all the way up to when he retired. Yeah. They don't have that anymore. So he's a blank canvas out gate and he's a lot of time to get it right. Yeah. Now they're going to sail through the group. So, you know. They always sail through the group. Well, they do. But now is the time to get it right. Now is the time. Uh, I said San Marino and Northern Ireland 3-0 Northern Ireland and that leaves them playing the Czech Republic this week a huge game because if they don't get beaten by the Czech Republic they are nearly guaranteed that second place spot so that's that's a brilliant position for them but even if they get beaten they still have a chance they, I think they have to play Germany after that which is as tough a game as you can get yeah. but it's, it's a great situation for Northern Ireland to be in Scotland uh, got a win against Lithuania away. Uh, Robertson from Liverpool. I think he, he stuck in a screamer. What do you make of him? 
he seems okay. Yeah. I, I, there's a conundrum at Liverpool as far as Robertson or the left back position goes at the minute. That um, if I had any criticism of Klopp, and I don't have too many, I guess, but uh, one would be he seems to have a blind spot at left back for Moreno, for and Moreno, I, I yeah. just can't. I think Moreno's all great attributes. His speed. He's really good going forward, but the guy can't defend. End of story. And he makes he dives in at the wrong time. It's like I don't know his, his brain freezes. At so times. you so you would stick Robertson in? Yeah, well, you're after buying this guy. You may as well give him a go. Yeah. You know, like he's sticking with Trent Alexander Arnold, um, who's young and he's giving him his chance. Um, now, obviously, he's come out for Gomez in a game or two as well. But you got to give the guy a chance. Um, if it was me, I'd definitely give him a chance now. Early in the league, they're playing well you got to blood him. I, I think the Milner thing at left full is gone. So he's the only option you have and I think you got to play him. Yeah, so he scored. Uh, Scotland won 3 nil, so they're still in the hunt and they have to play England. And Wales, obviously, uh, I wouldn't say broke Irish hearts, but uh, we could have done without them beating Austria. Uh, yeah. Another... Liverpool lad scoring the winner. Yeah, Wood, Ben Woodburn. Um, and he's done that before. He actually did that in the Liverpool game in the Aviva when uh, they played the pre-season game. Carbon copy of that goal. Long range. Super strike. Um, that was a sickener. Absolute sickener to see Wales win that. Like They are absolutely breathing down their neck now. And you just have that feeling like with all Irish groups like that. It's going to go down to that last game and it's going to be Wales away. And that is not a place that we want to be definitely not a place we want to be and again you're going to suffer for results last night when it comes to that final game against Wales you don't want to have to go there needing to win you really really don't okay we'll be back after the break We got to put that, put that song on, on on a back burner there because we have uh, Darren Shields on the line. We're going to talk some Pro Fourteen. Darren, are you there? How are you? How's things like? Good, good, good. Let me hear you talk there, there. Good. Okay, listen. The Pro Fourteen started this week, and uh, it's a different yeah. layout there. It so, is. It's exciting times. Is it exciting? It is. I, is it yeah, exciting like and is it interesting? Yeah, absolutely. There's basically. I don't know if you have time to go through the new layout on it, but yeah, essentially sure. what they've done is because they've introduced two South African teams, um, we're up to 14 teams, which, as they looked at it over the course of the season, said, well, that's too many games. So they've split it up into two conferences. So essentially, your country teams, so you'll have four Irish teams, let's say, the, fir- the top-rated one from the previous league and the fourth-rated one from the previous league will go into one conference, and then the second and third-place teams go into the second conference. Now, that kind of works down that you'll say everybody on your conference, uh, home and away, and everybody from the other conference, either home or away, you'll only play them the once. Now, people were worried that that would mean that you'd lose your uh, local derbies, you know, the... Yes. Munster and yeah. uh, Leinster games but they've made provisions that those games will be kept so even though Munster and Leinster are on two separate conferences 
they will play each other home and away. So you'll always get the big games that people want to see. Plus, you've now got the introduction of having the South African teams in as well. Yeah. So, uh, so then I think it works out. Then it'll go into a playoff system then for the top six teams at the end. So I looked at it, obviously, over the weekend. And Ulster were playing the Cheetahs from South yeah. Africa. And, of course, they're not in the same conference. So this is it. So everyone's going to play everyone, basically. Isn't that it? That's it, yeah. Everybody will play everybody at least once. Okay. And then um, everybody in your side of the conference. So I think it works out that you get 21 games, I right. think, in the regular season, as opposed to 22 or 24. Great. So um, what, will, uh, what will the South African teams bring to the party? Um, they'll bring... What will they, bring? They, they have a decent bit of, of kind of skill. I think what they were missing is having a look at them the weekend is obviously their first game and they're playing away. So they've, they've got to deal with that. Now, Leinster will go on a mini tour after this week and they'll play both South African teams in consecutive weeks. So they'll have the Kings next week down there and then they'll also have they'll have the Cheetahs the following week. The Cheetahs actually looked pretty good against Ulster at the start of the game. Yeah. But I think once Ulster kind of came in and started to dominate physically, um they were finding gaps all over the place but you can see a couple of individual players uh, especially across the backs of people like uh, Cecil Afric who would be a big sevens big name from sevens rugby yeah. plays 10 for uh, the Cheetahs and he was just sensational when he started having a go at people and kind of finding gaps around the pitch so, the two, the so two, the it's two, one of those things I think they'll grow into it yeah the, the two, South, two South African teams I think they got beaten over over the weekend but will they just grow into it yeah I think so I think so and I think again they will have that advantage of people having to travel down there yeah you know what I mean they, they should be able to rely on a decent bit of home form Right, um, and if they can bring in, I think you'll start to see it become a bit of a fixture. I know this year the fixture list and the whole setup was pretty early into the, uh, or was pretty late in the kind of coming up to the start of the season before all the fixtures were announced. Yeah, but you could see it as a thing in the future now that if Leinster or Munster are going to have a week away in South Africa, and you could head down there. You've, you're not losing it. anything time zone wise really yeah. there's no real difference yeah. um, once you, I say once you can get the flights chartered you know what I mean with a, a team of fans it could become a massive big trip for people to go down and get the atmosphere going and enjoy that kind of side of it you know yeah no it's, it's, it's certainly something that it's needed it's needed that little bit of a sparkle because yeah. for me who watches some rugby you just, you just watch it out of how are Leinster doing? How are Munster doing? But now all of a sudden there's a bit of, I suppose you call it razzmatazz if you want to call it because there's South African teams in it. And you want to know, can we compete with, now these aren't the best South African teams, but can you compete yeah. with the top nations, I suppose? And we always hear about South Africa, New Zealand and uh, the Australian leagues that they're obviously way ahead of us. So it's, it's, a, great, it's a great test in, in their opinion, obviously. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think what you do see, one of the, it's just something I personally believe have when you watch teams like Super 14 and everybody tells you how good Super 14 is, it's, I, don't, I don't personally think it's as good as people make it out to be. Right. It is exciting because they score lots and lots of tries in it, but it, it's usually down to a pretty poor standard of defence. So you, right. you're kind of going, you could see it there the other day, um, once uh, the Cheetahs went down to 14 men that a guy sinned in. Also, we were able to rack up about 19 points in 10 minutes. Right. 
and they were finding gaps, you know what I mean, pretty handily, especially through the centres. Now, I know Ulster are blessed with two massive big centres. We've got Tommy Bow and uh, Stuart McCluskey, and they were absolutely dominating their opposite numbers. But, again, you can kind of see teams are used to being able to score at will and being able to score with this lovely free-flowing play. When you go up against the Northern Hemisphere teams, they do tend to be organised a little bit better in defence and they do hit hard. Yeah. So it it'll be nice to see. It's going to be interesting to see now how there is a contrast in the style and will the South African teams adapt to that or will they stick to their guns and try and implement their style on the Northern Hemisphere side? Yeah. Uh, this is totally my fault. I've uh, let things uh, slip time-wise. So you've got one minute or maybe even less than that there. Uh, I know Leinster won 39-16 against the Dragons Munster won 34-3 against Treviso uh, Connacht were beaten by Glasgow Warriors 18-12 and Ulster we already said 42-19 against the Cheetahs quickly I'll give you 30 seconds there Irish teams this year how will they do and who's the favourite to win it uh, Leinster will do really really well they're short loads of numbers and as usual the academy players are just coming in and being spectacular the high levels of skill and physicality for guys who are only about 19. Uh, Munster started well. They will struggle when Erasmus goes. That will cause hassle when they're trying to get a new coach and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Connacht, I think, will do better than last season, but again, I think they will be fourth place out of the Irish teams. And I think Ulster kind of have to do something this year. They have the players, they have the coaching set up, they have everything there. Um, they just need to back it up with some consistency. Um, and who's going to win? Uh, Leinster. Okay. I think Scarlett's will run them very close this year again. I think Scarlett's going to be a great team again this year, but I think Leinster have kind of learned lessons from last year and please God, injury-free or keeping the in- injuries down to a minimum when they start getting lads back, especially in the centres, they'll, uh, they'll start to dominate and hopefully have a decent run in the Heineken Cup as well. Okay, there. thanks very much for your time as always. Uh, we will get back on to you more about this over the next few weeks and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Savage pleasure, Senna. Cheers, thanks very much. Okay, we're finishing off, as you can hear, with Don't Look Back in Anger. We'll hear, see you next week.